0: KMTT, Kimitzion Tezei Torah. KMTT, the Torah podcast. Today is Tuesday, Shur in Parshat Hashavua. Shur Parshat HaShavua will be given this week, as usual, by Harav Chanoch Waxman. This week's Parshat, parasha, Parshat Veikra, and the beginning of all of Sefer Veikra, begins as follows. And God called to Moshe and then spoke to him from within the Tent of Meeting as follows. Whether one explains the first word veikra like Rashi, that it refers to a Lashon chibah, a language of adoration, that God summons Moshe out of love. One explains like Ramban that Vayikra, God calls Moshe to summon him within the Tent of Meeting, to enter into the Kodesh Kodeshim, where then he will speak with him. Either way, God summons Moshe for the purposes of speaking with him. And of course, as the Psukim go on, as the text goes on, God does in fact speak to Moshe. And he delivers him instructions uh, to pass on to B'nei Israel. Pasuk Bet says as follows, Daber el bnei speak to the children of Israel, v'amarta'aleihem, and say to them, Adam ki akriv kem korban la-shem, one of you who brings a korban, an offering to God, you may bring your offering from all the various forms of cattle. The And if it, his offering is a whole burnt offering, etc. etc. We have here, of course, the beginnings of the laws of Karbanot. God summons Moshe to the Tent of Meeting, or God speaks to Moshe from the Tent of Meeting, for the purposes of teaching him the laws of Karbanot. And as we well should remember, much of Sefer Vayikra, much of the Book of Vayikra uh, is concerned with Karbanot. And of course, most, more specifically, Parshat Vayikra is more or less all about uh, Karbanot. And here, as just mentioned a moment ago, in Pasuk Gimel, uh, Pasuk Gimel begins, in Karbanot, Minha Bakar, Zachar, begins with the laws of the burnt offering of the Ola. As the Sefer goes on, we move from the laws of, uh, pardon me, as the um, Parshat goes on, we move from the laws of Ola, to those of Shlamim, to those of Chatat, uh, etc. Um, and all or less all of Parshat Veikra is about carbonate. And I think this would be a, a opportune time, perhaps the appropriate time, to discuss carbonate in general, and that is what I would like to discuss this week, Parshat Veikra. Um, and more precisely, not so much carbonate in general, but one might be thought of as, as the problem of carbonate. Um Because there is a certain problem, a, a classic and famous problem regarding carbonate in the chumash, and uh, that is what I would like to talk about today. And to do so, um, to formulate the problem, I would like to move away from our text, the beginning of Parashat Vayikra where the Torah is more or less concerned with what might be thought of as, as individual carbonate, or perhaps more accurately, uh, event-based uh, karbanot. The olah is triggered by the desire of the individual to bring a korban. The chatat is triggered by the event of a particular chet, a particular sin, that, were, that requires a korban. in the shlamim by a particular joyous occasion or other reason. So in Prashad Vikra we are more or less dealing with um, event-based or primarily individual karbanot. This is, as of course, as opposed to the karbonot um, we are instructed regarding in the 28th chapter of Bamidbar. Bamidbar kafchet, um gives us, so to speak, the other side of the coin, um, what might be thought of not so much as the event-based or individual karbonot, karbonot but the fixed or time-based uh, communal carbonate. The we note that we are required as a group to bring at very specific times in a very fixed pattern. Um, and if we take a look in Bamidbar Parak Kafchat, the 28th chapter of Bamidbar, things open there uh, as follows. God spoke to Moshe, Tzav et bnei Yisrael, command the bnei Yisrael v'amrata leihem et korbanim l'achmi, so God says to Moshe, command the Midna Israel and say to them, It's korbanil l'achmi, the offering, my bread, which is a firing offering, a sweet savior, Tishmaru Be very careful to bring it at its appropriate time. We're here dealing with the fixed, obligatory communal korbanot, and then after this brief introduction, we come to Pasuk Gimel, where the Torah begins to delineate the various Korbanot that should be brought. And of course, the first Korban is the Korban Tamid, the fixed time based Korban that is brought every day. And Parak Kavchet pasuk, pasuk Gimel says as follows: say to them, Shetra Kivul this is the fire offering you should bring to God, Mimim, two lambs, Shnaim layom, ola Tamid. Twice a day, it is a whole burnt offering, it is constantly brought. And then, of course, in a familiar Pasuk, Pasuk the one in the morning, the So we have here the animal which is brought as a sacrifice daily. Now, of course, there's something brought along with the animal, with the, with the meat, so to speak. In Pasuk He, Vasirit Ha'efa, Solet Mincha, Blula, Bashemen, Katit and one-tenth of an afa of fine flour brought as a meal offering, soaked in beaten, fine, high-grade oil, Ravii hin, one-quarter of a hin measurement. Um, and then after a brief parenthetical mention of the fact that the Olat Tamid was already brought at Har Sinai in Pasuk Vav, the Torah adds an additional element, additional third ingredient in the daily korban that is brought, pasuk zayin, Vinisko, and the libation, or the wine offering that's brought along with it, revi itahin, also a quarter of a hin, l'keves ha'echad, bakodesh, ha'seach, nesach, etc., etc. So we have here three components of the daily korban that are brought. There's, of course, the kevas, the, the meat, then there is the meal offering, the flour and oil and water that accompanies it, uh, and then, of course, the wine. Now, um... If we think about it, uh, and this might be perhaps the the classical formulation of the problem uh, that I alluded to earlier, we have here a kind of a mode of worship that seems to be a provision of a meal, uh, a provision of food. Uh, And if we think about it, we have here all of the three main ingredients of the standard fare of a meal, at least in the ancient world. We have the meat. Um, which is the kevas, We have the, the meal offering, the flour, the bread, the water, whatever, the oil mixed together, whatever may be the case. And of course, we have the wine, we have the drink to wash it all down. Um, now, in fact, it is not just that, so to speak, uh, viscerally, it seems to resemble a meal, but in fact, how does the Torah introduce the, the fixed carbonate that are brought twice a day, once in the morning and once in the evening uh, in Pasuk Bet, sabbets b'nai Yisrael et karbani lachmi, uh, my offering, my bread. This is referred to, so to speak, as, as the lechem. And lechemir doesn't mean bread. Lechem means here, so to speak, uh, the meal. And I think even if we don't want to think about this per se as, as the meal, um, we do seem to have on the surface a mode of worship that involves feeding, kaviyachal, and I might put this, so to speak, in quotation marks, just because the thing is, it's difficult to say, a mode of worship that seems to involve the feeding uh, or the provision of a meal to God, and this, of course, is, is something that is difficult, something that needs to be dealt with, and something that needs to be evaluated, even without raising for the moment the specter of pagan forms of worship or the way other gods were traditionally worshipped in the ancient Near East. Um, So this is really the classical problem that I would like to discuss, how to evaluate uh, this mode of worship, how to evaluate korbanot. Now, uh, in general, in the shurim, I I tend to stick to uh, the biblical text, more precisely the text of the Chumash, and to elucidate ideas out of the uh, text of the Chumash itself. Well, today, in a bit of change from the regular, I'd like to begin from a slightly different place, from a very, very crucial uh, Gemara um, regarding this topic, which is found at the very end of Masechet Menachot, um, and then to uh, turn back uh, afterwards, perhaps to the text of the Chumash, uh, more precisely to our Parsha at the beginning of Parashat Vayikra. Um, now, the Gemara I alluded to a moment ago, um, it is found in Menachot D'Af Kuf Yud, and is in fact the last Gemara in Menachot, which is of course the last part of the Talmud Bavli that deals with Seder Kodeshim, that deals with the laws of sacrifices. And it is in fact not just the last, the end of Masachif Benachor, or the end of Seder Kodeshim, there's it is also in fact the last Gemara in the Talmud Bavli. Um, And uh, I would like to here investigate a Memra statement um, by Rabbi Shimon Ben Azai. Um, And uh, as there is really no choice um, but just to read the Gemara inside, although it will be a bit difficult to follow as you do not have the text in front of you, I will attempt to work through the Gemara here, which, in fact, brings to bear a fascinating Mizmor in Tilim, uh, Perek Nun, or Mizmor Nun in Tilim, uh, to bear on the problem of Korbanot. So let us begin. So, the Gemara in Menachot Taf Kufira says as follows. Tanya, I'm Rabbi Shimon ben Azai. Bo ura'e maktiv pashat korbanot. So we learned, Rav Ben-Azai said, let us see what is written, or come and see what is written in Pashat Karbanot. Um, now, after a few lines in which the Gemara deals with various problematic aspects of the Lashon, of the language of Pashat Karbanot from various places in the Torah, um, Ben-Azai, or Ben-Azai, comes to the following point. The Shema Tomar, and perhaps you will say, La'achila Perhaps you will say that the whole reason or purpose of karbanot is for God's consumption. L'achilu <laughs> tzarech. That God needs to, so to speak, kavehachol, consume the meal that we provide him, and this is the meaning of the karbanot. In other words, Ben Azai here formulates the question more or less precisely as we did a few moments ago. The classical problem is karbanot, or are karbanots really about the provision of a meal to God. And here Ben Azai deals with this, as I mentioned a moment ago, on the basis of a mizmor. Uh, Mizmur Nun in Sefer And he quotes the following verse. Im arev Omer lecha kili tevel umlo'ah. Um, and what uh, he cites in the Mizmar here is, and the Mizmar in general is a mismar that in its general topics concerned with God's interest in mishpat, God's interest in justice, and to some extent denigrates the value of karbanot. And he chooses here a verse, Im arev, if I am hungry, God says, I will not tell you. Because the entire universe belongs to me, and therefore I have no need of you providing me with food. And then another verse from the same Nismar, in fact, two verses earlier. Um, God says, all of the chayot, all of the animals of the forest belong to me. Kili, they are mine. bahare and cattle uh, on the, in the thousands upon the mountains. So God says he has absolutely no need to have a meal provided for him. Um, if he is hungry, he will not mention it because He is an owner of the entire world and can provide for his own food. Or in the second verse here, all of the chayot uh, belong to God. Uh, whether they be found in the forest or upon the mountain. And in a third verse proving the exact same point that God has absolutely no need for food or meals or provision provided by mankind, Yadati kal of Harim. I knew all of the birds of the mountains. Viziv sadai imadi. And um, the cattle of the fields are with me. So again, the similar idea that God has no need because he is the owner of all, God is acquainted with all, God can provide for himself. And finally, at this point, Ben Azai, inside in the Mizmar, cites a different verse, which makes a subtly different point. Basar Avirim Do I eat the meat of bullocks? V'dam Atudim Eshter Or the blood of goats do I drink? In other words, it is not just that God has no need to be provided for by humankind, but it is inherently absurd, because God is transcendent, God is abstract, God is not physical, and God does not eat, and God does not drink. So ben Aze makes the point that certainly carbonara is not in any sense about consumption by God, because A, God has no need for man to provide for him, and B, it is inherently impossible, the very idea, and very inherently heretical, the very idea of God consuming based upon them is tilim nun. If so, Ben azai concludes as follows Lohamati Alechem Zivcho, and now here again it is Ben Ben-Azai who speaks as both the Mismora. Lohomati Alechem Zivcho k'deish shomar, Tomar Tomar I did not tell you to sacrifice to me. God, so to speak, Ben azai places the following words in the mouth of God. I did not tell you, God says to sacrifice to me Kadesh Tomar Esertsono the So that you, mankind, should say, I will do his will by providing for him, by sacrificing to him, the aseratuni, and then he will do me do my will. Lolitzoni Atemzovchim Eltsonhem Atem Zovchim. It is not for my will or my benefit that you sacrifice, but for your benefit. It is not for the benefit of the deity, but for the benefit of humanity that sacrifice takes place. And here Ben Azai cites a final verse that it says, for your benefit or for your will that you may sacrifice. Now, it's perhaps a bit hard to understand from the way I work through this, but Ben Azai here provides us with what might be thought of as a dual argument, or as an argument against the the pagan theory uh, of sacrifice uh, on some level. Uh, In the pagan world, um, sacrifice was considered, of course, as as the meal of the gods uh, in some ways, or in some way, in some fashion, um, physical or mystical perhaps, the gods somehow consumed Uh, the actual meal provided by humankind. But it's not just that the korban was the provision of the meal of the gods uh, in pagan thought, but also this served as a kind of Command and control mechanism, a man, a means by which man appeased the gods and a means by which man controlled the gods by doing the ratzon of the gods by providing for them, so to speak, man forced God into do, forced the gods into doing their will. So in pagan thought, this was not just an actual provision of the meal in a kind of literary sense, but also this was a command and control mechanism. And Ben attacks attacked both points. It is absurd. God has no need for this, and this is taught by Mizmar Nun. But it's not just that God. God has no need for this. It is inherently absurd, because God is not physical. And this is also taught by Ms. Monon. But if so, the second point is also incorrect. Karbanot are not in any sense a means of appeasing the gods, a command and control mechanism, doing the will of the gods that the god will do your will. Rather, it is solely for us. It is l'ritzon chem. It is somehow not for the benefit of the deity, the whole system of Karbanot, but it's for the benefit of mankind. And this is the claim of Ben Azai um, in ending off Masechet Menachot, the end of Seder Kodashim in the Talmud Bavli. Now, we might say that here Ben-Azai performs a kind of 180 degree turn, a Copernican turn, on the whole theory uh, of Karbanot prevalent in the ancient world. It is not no, no longer for the benefit of the deity of the gods but it is rather for the benefit of humanity. But what Ben-Azai leaves unexplicated here uh, in the Bright at the end of Menachot is exactly what is the benefit that mankind gets out of Karbanot. Uh, what is it all about? And here, Ben Azayi does not really explicate things. However, I think perhaps we may turn to the very mizmor that Ben Azayi worked off of, uh, Mizmur Nun, and here I think we have some interesting perspectives on what exactly the benefit to humanity uh, or um, what benefit to humanity carbono do indeed uh, provide. So I'd like to pick it up in that very Mizmur, um, in uh, Pasuk Yudbet, at the point of the ultimate reductio ad absurdum, uh, at the point where God speaks and says, "Of course, I have no need for carbonate because I do not consume flesh or drink blood." Pasuk Bet says, Basar Abirim: Do I eat the flesh of bulats Vidam atudim eshtet, or do I drink the blood of goats? Of course not." And then after this ridicule of korbanot that has taken place by God, and as I pointed out, it is more or less, I and mean, mismore more where God is interested um, in justice being done by humankind rather than in offerings. At this point, God does tell us of the positive role that korbanot play. Um, or God, so to speak, affirms the necessity or the value of korbanot. Pasuk Yudalit in the very Mismar says as follows, Zvach Lokim todah Continue to sacrifice to God your thanksgiving offerings. V'shalem and pay to the High One your vows. And then the, the mizmor goes on in Pasuk Tedvav, Ukraini b'yom tsara And by sacrificing, call out to me in your day of difficulty, b'yom tsara in the day of anguish, Achal I will save you, v'techabteni, and then you will glorify me again with Korbanot. If we think about it here, there are many different roles that are mapped out for Korbanot for sacrifices here in these two verses. First of all, there's, of course, the notion of thanksgiving, the korban todah, that man thanks God uh, by bringing a korban. V'shalem leyon And, of course, there's the bringing of vows, uh, the demonstration of, of loyalty, of dedication, uh, of obedience, and the paying of vows in a timely fashion. Well, there isn't just thanksgiving and dedication. There's also Ukareini uh, b'yom tzara. There's the turning to God at a difficult point in time, bringing sacrifices to turn to God. Well, what we might term in a kind of perhaps anachronistic turn of phrase, the, the virtue of prayer, of turning to God in, in the time of tzara. Of course, when God saves you, of course, afterwards there is hodah, there is thanksgiving to God, which also happens uh, through kovernot we have here, so to speak, almost a a variable catalog of religious virtues. We have thanksgiving, we have dedication, we have obedience, we have turning to God, and we have thanksgiving once again. And all of these religious virtues don't take place in a vacuum, but they occur or happen in the context of a relationship with God. And this is, once again, implicit um, in these verses. Again, um, Pasuk uh, Tetvah, Pasuk Yedaleh says as follows: Ukareni biom tsara, call out to me in the day of your pain. Achal tsacha, I will save you. So there is an existing relationship between humanity and God, and Karbanot are so to speak part and parcel of that relationship between uh, humankind and God. And to some extent, they provide mankind with the opportunity. For exercising those virtues, thanksgiving, prayer, obedience, turning to God, that are all part of this ongoing relationship with God. And I think this is what, then as I meant, Liritzon that it is not for the benefit of the deity, it is the benefit for humanity. It is a means of bridging the gap between us and God, of building a relationship with God, an opportunity to exercise those religious virtues that are the foundation of mankind's relationship with God. And I think this is the idea of Ben Azai and Mizmor Tilim uh, Nun. Um, to put this succinctly, uh, perhaps in a, in a kind of uh, populist fashion, Karbanot are not for God, but Karbanot are for us. And I think this is certainly the approach of Ben Azai and Mizmor Tilim Nun. Okay. Um, now, as mentioned earlier, uh, I would like to uh, leave the world of uh, Midrash Chazal and Tilim and return to the world of the Chumash in fact, to return to our parasha that we began with, the Yikra Perak Aleph, because I believe that in some sense um, uh, there's quite a bit here in the text that can support the idea of carbonate of as being about the exercise of religious virtues that are part and parcel of the relationship between mankind and God here in the text, and not just something that can support this concept, but perhaps even expand it a little bit, and and take us to another level. So I'd like to return to the text here at the beginning of Vayikra Perek Aleph, Perek Aleph, Pasuk Aleph. Vayikra el Moshe, and God called to Moshe, Vayidabar Hashem um, May me'ol, and Vayidlimor, God called to him from the Tent of Meeting. Daber el Bnei Yisrael, speak to the Bnei Yisrael, and say to them, Adam ki akriv mikem korban lashem, um, now, beforehand, I translated this uh, in a kind of general loose sense as one a man who desires to bring an offering to God. Um, but if we pay, of course, attention to the original Hebrew, there's a particular stem that occurs here on, uh, quite a few times over and over in the Parsha. If we read the entire verse, the uh, stem, of course, the root of the word korban, appears here four times uh, in these very first two verses, and it appears in, in two different senses. One as kiakriv michem, um, who brings, um, and of course, again, takrivu, but of course, in, as the root of the object korban. Well, what's the point of this? Well, let's go on a little bit further. Pasuk Gimel. yakrivenu a yakriv oto In fact, in these three short introductory verses before the Torah begins to map out the laws of the Olah, the stem, kufresh um, bet, meaning offering or bringing forth, uh, occurs seven times, uh, a significant number, uh, often connoting Shleimut or connoting the fact that we have a kind of key phrase here, and that's obvious. Well, what does it mean? Well, if we think about it etymologically, Kufraj bet is, of course, associated with the idea of coming close. Um, it is uh, certainly a stem with the connotations of relationship and I think by no accident here at the beginning of Prashat Karbanot, the idea of krav, of bringing forth, of coming close, of offering, appears seven times. Now, it is not just the fact that the phrase uh, or the term kufresh bet krav appears seven times in these first few verses at the beginning of Prashat Kabanot, but in fact I think there's a very particular freight or baggage to the place where the person brings his korban at least in the context of Sefer Shemot and Bayikra, and I'd like to explain uh, what I mean by this. Going back to the first Pasuk, God calls to Moshe from the Ol and as pointed out, according to Ramban, not just calls to out of love, but summons an inside to the Kodesh Kodeshim, to the place of God, to speak with him, and that is what Ol literally meaning, tent of meeting, is all about. Now, where does one bring one's Korban to? Uh, well, Pasuk Gimel again. Im olah korbano, if his korban is a whole burnt offering, min habakar, Zahar tamim yakrivenu, el petach o'el mo'ed yakriv. Yakriv before and yakriv afterwards, to where? To the petach o'el mo'ed, to the door of the tent of meeting. Well, why does one bring one's korban to the door of the tent of meeting? On the simple level, this doesn't really require much explanation. We just think for a moment in our mind's eye about the physical layout of the Mishkan, or of the Mikdash. The Mizbeach HaGadol, the Mizbeach HaNechosheh, the large altar where one would bring one's offering, is located in the Chatzer outside of the Petach of the Omoed, outside of the door of the tent of meeting. So, Petach Omoed is a reference to the place where the Mizbeach is located, and of course, one brings one's korban to the place where the Mizbeach is located, because simply put, that's where you're going to offer it. However, uh, as mentioned a moment ago, I think the phrase Petach Omoed is a a loaded phrase in the context of uh, Shmot Vayikra, and to understand this, we should turn back um, to a few interesting psukim found in Shmot Perk Kavtet, that we have discussed on previous occasions, towards the end of chapter 29, where again, uh, the Torah is concerned with Korbanot. And after briefly outlining the laws of the two daily sacrifices that will be brought during the Meha Miloim, during the days of inauguration of the Mishkan, which are in fact more or less the same, or which are, so to speak, forerunners of the two daily sacrifices that we brought for generations for Dorot, Per Kavtet Pasuk Membet says as follows: It is an everlasting burnt offering for your generations, Petach Moed, at the door of the tent of meeting, in front of God, in the presence of God, um, that I will meet with you there. Uh, the same stem as Moed. Uh to speak to you there. and I will meet, make myself known, um, establish myself there with בני Yisrael, and I will be sanctified in my glory. Or, uh, just two verses later, Israel, I will dwell amongst the בני Yisrael. I will be for them a God. Korbanot are brought to the Petach o'moed Petach o'moed is the entrance to the house of God. It is the place of meeting between God and B'nai Yisrael. And Karbanot are inherently wrapped up and tied up with that idea of meeting, with that idea of mo'ed, of relationship, of kirvah, of coming close. And I think by no accident, the sukim at the beginning of Vayikra, that begin to outline the laws of individual Karbanot, talk about kirva seven times over, and they also talk about the idea of petach amoy, the place of meeting with God, because korbanot are all about the relationship, the way of meeting, the place of meeting, the mode of meeting with God, and this again supports the general idea found um, in Ben Azai and Mizmorti Linud, uh, that they are, for our benefit, l'ritzong chem, so to speak, to use the language of Ben Azai, a way to exercise religious virtues and build the relationship with God. Now, this is one point. But as I mentioned a moment ago, I think there is a, a deeper aspect or an additional aspect of korbanot uh, that is hinted at uh, by our psukim here at the beginning of uh, Parshat Vayikra. And let us go on to the pasuk that uh, we are up to, which is Parak Pasuk Dalit. Now, after the individual brings his korban ola to the door of the olam ol'id, um, he is required to engage in a very particular procedure, as, so to speak, the launch point for the entire bringing of the Karban, for the entire uh, procedure of sacrifice. Pasuk Dalat as follows, And he shall place his hand upon the head uh, of the Ola. Um, man places his hand, his hand or hands upon the head of uh, the animal, the burnt offering that he's about to bring. And then it becomes associated with him, alav. Uh, to achieve atonement for him. Now, um, the question arises, of course, what exactly is uh, this idea of smichav, the placing of the hands or the hands upon the heads of the animal? Well, on the simple plane, or perhaps even on the halakhic plane, um, we can explain this simply as a notion of, of shayachut, uh, of belonging, or in English, as being as of. Um, on what grounds can this korban be identified as from the person or as of the person so that it can achieve kapara for him well the necessity for the creation of the connection and the placing of the hand upon the animal symbolizes that connection of being of of shayachut that this is now the baal's animal this is the bringer's animal and it will then achieve kapara for him upon the mizbeach, etc however uh, while this is certainly undoubtedly halakhically correct i think there's in fact a, a deeper symbolism to the idea of the placing of the hand or the hands and this can be understood by glancing at another place in, in the Chumash later on, in fact, in Sefer Bamidbar, where again we are witness to placing of the hand uh, or of the hands. What I have in mind is Bamidbar um, Perak Kaf Zayin, the story of the choice or the official designation of Yeshua as the successor for Moshe. Um, after being told uh, that he is going to pass and not enter the land, um, Moshe, of course, requests from God that there be a successor. Um, and uh, someone who will take over the role. Well, God responds in Parak Chafzayin, Pasach Yudchet, as follows. Vayom Ra'shem Moshe, and God said to Moshe, kach lecha et Yeshua Nun, ish asher ruach bo, take your, for yourself, Yeshua binun, a man who has spirit within him, v'samachta et yatcha alav, and place your hand upon him. And not just place your hand upon him, but do it in a very particular way in context. And stand him up in front of Kohen and in front of all the community, and command him, and charge him in front of their eyes. And then what do you do as part of this process of smicha, of tzivoy, of placing of the hands, of charging, and a crucial verse, alav, And you shall place of your glory, uh, hodcha, let's translate it as glory, or, or radiance, uh, or image, or aura, or something upon him. And then, of course, that is going to be the official designation of Yeshua as the leader. Now, what does this mean? Well, once again, we can explain this in, in the technical fashion, that the placing of the hands in front of the eyes of the entire community represents Moshe's formal seal of approval that he places upon Yahshua, and no one can ever claim later on that Yahshua was not approved by Moshe, that there was no orderly transfer of authority, because after all, um, Moshe stood Yahshua up in front of everybody and placed his hand upon him, etc. Well, I think that's far too simplistic, because it kind of assumes that the placing of the hand has some inherent meaning, and I think it does. Um, it is once again the idea of of, or as of, or shayachut so to speak, by placing his hands upon Yeshua, Moshe demonstrates that Yeshua is of him. Uh, or to read again uh, the verse, Moshe, so to speak, places something of his very self in Yahshua in front of the eyes of the entire community. There's some sort of intermingling of identity, some sort of transference, some way that something of Moshe, Moshe passes on or lives on in Yahshua, and it is that hode of Moshe that gives Yahshua his power, his glory. It is this kind of intermingling of identity that the smicha process is all about in Sefer Bamidbar and the transference of authority um, in Parak of Zion. Well, if that's correct in smicha regarding Moshe and Yeshua, I think it is also fundamentally correct uh, in regards to smicha found in our parashah and Parashat HaKarbanot. V'samach yado lo When the person places their hands upon the animal, this symbolizes some sort of intermingling of identity, some sort of transference, some sort of means by which from now on the animal is representative or represents the person. And therefore, vinyur tzala therefore it is appeasing and achieves forgiveness. When the animal is brought upon the mezbah, it is in some sense as if the person themselves are being brought upon the mezbah, and this is how uh, the kapara is achieved. Well, this may seem uh, to be a bit of a striking idea. I think it is implicit in the biblical text, and it was certainly held in the most explicit fashion uh, by Ibn Ezra, and it is worthwhile um, to, so to speak, near draw towards the end to read a particular piece of Ibn Ezra, which is cited by Ramban here at the beginning of a Yikra Perak Aleph, uh, Pasuk Tet. After discussing a bit about the meaning of karbanot, or discussing a bit about the problem uh, of karbanot. Uh, Ibn Ezra notes that uh, humanity, or being human, is composed in some sense of of three different elements, or perhaps of three different modalities. A person is made up of makshava, thought, dibor, speech, and ma'asah, and action. These are all three aspects, three different aspects which comprise human existence, speech, thought, and action. Ibn Ezra then goes on to point out that the various procedures done uh, upon the karbanot, whether it be the smicha of the hands, the placing of the hands, the vidui the confession, the slaughtering, in some sense or another, all of these correlate with the three aspects of existence, speech, thought, and action, without going into the details. And there's a kind of one-to-one relationship between the various procedures performed upon carbonates or done with karbanot and the nice aspects of, of humanhood, of speech, thought, and action. And then uh, Ibn Ezra gets to the point and it's cited by Rambanir and it's worthwhile to read the text. And what's the point of this correlation between humanity and the Korban or the procedure done upon the Korban? So that a man will think when he does all of these, that he has sinned to God with his body and with his soul. And it would be suitable for him that his own blood would be spilled. And his own body would be burned. If not for the kindness of the Creator, that took for him, in exchange, a replacement object. And this sacrifice uh, atones for him, that its blood is instead of his blood, and its soul is instead of his soul. Here, Ibn Ezra presents the powerful idea that what karbanot are really all about are, so to speak, in one word, transference. It is about the korban taking the place of the person. In the context of Ibn Ezra, it is in the sense of achieving kaparah for the person. But in the broader sense, it is about the ultimate action of giving oneself to God, the animal is representative of the person or the identity of the animal is intermingled the identity of the person. And when the person brings the animal, they're in fact bringing themselves to God in the ultimate action. I think this is an idea that is implicit in Pshutah shal and the Smicha, and is certainly explicit in Ibn Ezra as an understanding of Kabanot, as the bringing of the very self, as symbolic of the bringing of the very self of the person. To sum up, um, I think here we have made two points regarding the problem of Uh, of karbanot that we began with. Um, The karban is not a meal uh, for God. The karban is not a means of manipulation of God. But in the view of ben Azai and Mizmor Nun in Sefer Tilim, it is an opportunity for the exercise of religious virtues and the cultivation of a relationship with God, and that's what karbanot are about. Or alternatively, karbanot are not a meal and karbanot are not a means of manipulation of the Divine, but in the view of perhaps Shutasha Shem and the focus on Smicha, or in the view of Ibn Ezra, there's so to speak a symbolic bringing of one's very self to God, a symbolic manifestation of one's ultimate dedication to God, and this is what Karbenot uh, are about in the Biblical, uh, Rabbinic and Medieval Jewish Philosophical worldviews. Okay.